Thank you for this day. Thank you that you are a God who wants to be a part of our journey and that you invite us to be a part of your journey and what you're doing. And so, Lord, I just invite you and your Holy Spirit to be about your business in this place right now. We dedicate these next few moments. Lord, challenge us, shape us, teach us about your word, but also, Lord, help us to take your word and to put it into practice, knowing that every day, every moment, every special part of this journey matters with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in a series that we're kicking off today uh, called Everyday Matters, and it's productivity in the kingdom of God. So what does scripture say about living a faithful and productive life? What are some basic principles that can translate into sustainable practices that bring us to a focus and a sanity of our busyness in our life? What does scripture say about our callings and our limitations And how can we explore priorities and open up opportunities to live a life more in tune with our Savior as we seek to worship Him through our day-to-day activities? And as we tackle these questions over the next few weeks, it will be a time of recognizing the sense of urgency to get started that every day matters, that each day and each moment is significant, and that each and daily thing that we do is really a reflection of, of who we are. So I'm not really an NR kind of guy. In fact, NRs make me roll my eyes and really kind of disconnect. And I'm using NR for the sake of saving 59% of this group because 59% of the group probably don't believe in New Year's resolutions, right? NRs. Only 41% of the population actually say they do them, but only 9% actually believe they keep New Year's resolution, and whenever I hear at the beginning of every year, New Year's resolutions, I like check out, roll back, yeah, done work for me, been there, tried that, actually I probably have never tried it, but not interested, Uh, but thanks anyway, can we get through the New Year resolution talk, right? And uh, and so this is not a New Year's resolution talk, because uh, research shows that New Year's resolutions actually don't work, and as as a therapist... You know, I'm kind of into how the body works and the brain works, and if it doesn't work, then don't do it. That's my, my opinion, right? So what? Find things that work. And New Year's resolutions don't work because we know in our research that German psychologist Peter Goldwitzer stated it this way, goals come from a more rational, long-term, orientated part of your brain. Say you want to lose a few pounds or be nicer to people or cut down on social media. You're not struggling to see why these are things you want to change. The problem is more the impulsive, short-term part of your brain, the one that sustains your habits and takes over most of your day-to-day activities. Your brain is very good at automatizing behaviors. It's freeing up resources for other things, but those automatic behaviors conflict when our long-term goals come into play with our short-term habits, and that's where the struggle is. So as we launch into these talks over these next few weeks, I want to change your NRs, your New Year's resolution, to stand for New Year's routine. Or just drop years. Just put new routines in there, right? I like it easier for you. And and routines are really built on a if-then kind of principle. So if I set my alarm for 30 minutes earlier than normal, 
then I will get up, get my coffee, and spend 20 minutes in the Word of God before I get ready. If I lose my temper at my kids, or if I freak out at someone at work, then I will repair the relationship within the next six hours. Now, you might say within the next 30 minutes, but I like to give you time to think about your poor behavior. So go away, think about it for a while, and come back. Because that's how you raise your kids, right? No, 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 no. That's not a sorry. You go to your room, you think about it, and when you're ready to come back and actually be sorry, you can come back. We tell that to our kids all the time. We don't actually do that as adults. So I always say within the next six hours, if you lose it, (laughs) then I will make a new routine of seeking to repair that in the next six hours. If then... They're triggers. We do them all the time. If, if I get out of the house five minutes earlier, then I'm going to stop at Caribou and get that coffee, right? That's how we live our life, these routines. But here's my question for you today. How are you going to live your life in 2023 as an act of worship and also a witness of the hope that is within you to those you encounter and influence on a day-to-day basis? So if you have your Bibles... Turn to me to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. This is going to be our, our key verse for the day. It'll be on the screens. You also have a whole bunch of notes in your bulletin. Did you realize that when your bulletin came in? Like, what is this thing falling on the floor? Are we going to school? Man, good grief. I was like, yeah, just stick all this in the bulletin. Then you don't have to write notes if you want. And, and hopefully you can stick it up somewhere, put it in your Bible. Uh, we'll get to that at the end. That's our application piece. Um, so... It's on there, though, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and it reads like this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. No, I do not fight like a boxer beating at the air. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is speaking here in the Corinthian letters, of which there's two Corinthian letters, as we talk about the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, just to throw a curveball, there's actually three Corinthian letters. The first one's not the first one. There was a pre-letter that they're not quite sure what happened there, but they refer to this other letter, right? But he's actually in the city of Ephesus. Paul's in Ephesus, and then this, this woman by the name of Chloe, or at least Chloe's friends, right? Whoever Chloe was, we don't show up at her friends. Chloe's friends are talking to Paul, right? says in chapter 1, 1 verse 11 that Chloe's friends have been reporting to Paul that they're having all these issues back in Corinth. They're arguing all the time. And, and Paul gets word of this. And they're arguing about what we, like we say, arguing about dumb things. They're arguing about, well, I follow Peter. Or I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos. And Paul's like, why are you arguing about these stupid things? Right? And then they're arguing about things like what kind of could we eat meat that's that's being given to an idol can we do that when the idol's not even a real thing does that matter and what about marriage and we can argue about our marriage and 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 sexual immorality they were arguing about that they were having all these arguments and Paul has got to be sitting there like ah I'm in Ephesus trying to help Ephesus do their thing and Corinth is falling apart so he sits down and he says ah all right give me a pen give me a scroll let me let me get some stuff down so he starts writing this letter. And he sends this letter 
And he starts teaching them about this silly arguments, but also he starts talking about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And he begins to talk about Christian conduct. That's what this letter is really uh, kind of based in. And he goes head to head with, with the sin of what's happening in the city of Corinth. And at the end of chapter 9 is where we find this text that we just read. But chapter 9 is where Paul is talking about surrendering his rights. Now, that's how we know Paul wasn't an American, right? Because as an Australian comes, this is something Americans know. It's my rights. Rights are very big, right? It's my right, my right, my right. And Paul actually says, I don't have any rights. I am sold out to Jesus. And I am a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, I surrender my rights to follow what he is asking us to do. To be productive for the kingdom and to not be disqualified for the prize. This isn't a new idea for Paul, talking about surrendering his rights. It's, it's about dying to himself. And he talks about it in the letter to the Romans. He talks about it in the letter to the Philippians. He talks about it in the letter to the Galatians. Are you getting the picture? He talks about this idea a lot. And yet, it's not even his idea. For in Luke 9.23, it says, And he, Jesus, is saying this, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The work of following Christ and his lordship is a daily decision of taking up the cross, which speaks of the challenges of this decision. If you keep reading in the letter to the Corinthians from verse 9, now remember, in the, in the original letters, they didn't have all these nice little numbers. They didn't have all these headings. He's just, he's just writing these letters, right? So sometimes when you read something in the Bible, we just stop and then we don't keep reading. And it's sometimes really, if not all the time, important to keep reading and see kind of where he was going with this process. And in chapter 10, after we read over him being this athlete that he's talking about, in chapter 10, he starts to give a, a reference to what it was like when Moses, who took the people out of Egypt and were walking through the desert, and, and, and these forefathers, these spiritual forefathers, kind of being disqualified, uh, even though they were the chosen people of God. In verse 11 of chapter 10, it says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And the question might be, how were they overthrown? The people of God were overthrown in the wilderness for the same reasons that they're getting overthrown in, in, in Corinth. For idolatry, for sexual immorality, for grumbling. Now, in, in Corinth, it was complaining about who's following who. But the bottom line is that it was sin. They were missing God's mark as who we are going to be as believers, as followers of, back then, as followers of Yahweh, but now as followers of Christ. And Jesus alluded to this in his parable in Matthew 7, verse 24, <clears throat> about people who build their life on the sand and people who build their life on the rock. For all you old-timers that grew up in the church, right? Remember that old song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. You all remember that one? Yeah, yeah, some people do. You know, back when kids' ministry was kids' ministry and you had actions, right, and all that stuff, it's a little different now. We do it different with our kids. But that was the thing, right? We, we build a house on the rock. Jesus talked about that, and, and this building on a rock is not easy. Building on something that stands firm and lasts means it has to have internal grit, 
Now, Angela Duckworth wrote a book in 2016 called Grit, and it was the passion and perseverance. It's resolve, it's resilience, it's the ability to bounce back when things don't go the way we expect them to. Building something that holds firm, endures, is dependable, will have an integrity component that is at play. Paul claims that he trains, that he makes his body a slave and runs the race with a sense of integritiness. Athletes train to win, but at times they lose. And when they lose, they do not turn and walk away. No, they take the resolve to keep training, to bounce back, to make adjustments, to fight on. Good athletes have an integrity nature and they will refuse to stay down when they get knocked down. How about you? Do you have a routine that helps you get back up when you get knocked down by the things of this world? Do you have a routine that you can stick to when the storms of life blow against your house? Remember the house that was built on the sand fell apart when the storms came. But the house that was built on the rock stood firm. Do you have a routine built on an integrity resolve? So here's Paul explaining to the church of Corinth words that still speak truth to us as a church today. That we must be intentional, focused, striving to live our lives or running the race in such a way as to get the prize. And as such, the strict spiritual training we ought to be challenging ourselves to is the idea that every day matters. No matter where you are on this race, no matter the level of training, you have to apply yourself every day. It's why we're providing Bibles, because every day matters. And even if you miss a day, that's okay, because this day, the new day, matters. Therefore, do not run as someone aim, that's running aimlessly. No, athletes prepare with intention, purpose, and accountability. They also train with a certain amount of resistance and struggle, not beating at the air, which doesn't make you very strong. That's what Paul's saying. A certain amount of training, you can't just do this, right? This, this is not, yeah, boom. That's what we did when we were kids. All the guys out here, yeah, bam, man, I hit that bully. He went down. It's like, actually, when you hit, it actually hurt your hand, actually broke everything in your hand. You're now in the hospital and you say, no. But in the movies, it looks like, man, whew, I was practicing. It's like Paul's saying, don't, this is not practicing, Right? It's not like you can go, oh, yeah. I think it's not a pump, right? Can't pump up your biceps by beating at the air. You've got you've to put some resistance into that thing. Okay? So he's, he's saying, I do not beat at the air, which doesn't make you very strong. Most athletes train knowing they must be integrity in their workout. They have to have integrity in how they approach. They have to have integrity. As they do their work, they have to have integrity as they do what they do. What is integrity? I like to say it's what people do when nobody's watching. Who are you when nobody's watching? Webster defines it as a state of being whole or undivided. Our primary goal of following Christ is to be faithful not successful in the eyes of the world. 1 Corinthians 4, 1, if you flip back a few pages, Paul says this, 
This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of the stewards that they be faithful. He doesn't say that they be successful. He says that they be faithful. So this passage really connects with me, not just on a kind of a spiritual level, but on a professional level. About 15 years ago, as a as a therapist, I kind of got into the world of sports psychology. It's a little bit of a niche market that I get to do, which has been kind of fun. And uh, whether I'm working with Major League Baseball players or if I'm working with PGA pros or Grandmaster Chess players, I teach them all a same principle. Now, one of the cool things about being a Christian therapist is I get to take biblical principles and hide them in therapy, right? That's what I, that's what I like to do. It's like, no, no, no. This is just truth. I don't know where it came from, you know, because I can't do that. Get in trouble, but I hide it in there, right? And I want to teach you something as athletes in training that I would teach all of my athletes that I work with at very high levels, okay? And, and this is why I had to write it down, because I knew I'd run out of time. We're doing okay. We're going to fly through this really quick. But if in training hundreds of athletes in this technique as they prepare for whatever they face, I want you to think of this, this little handout that I gave you. This is a pre-shot routine on a golf course. Any golfers in here? One. Good. Two, three. Okay, right. Good. It's winter. I know. We forgot what we play in the winter. Yeah, golf, right? This is a pre-shot routine on a golf course. This is a process on a pitcher's mound. This is a business mindset in a boardroom. But most importantly, this is a powerful process of prayer for the purpose-driven believer. As you go into this new year... As you go and up your training, I want you to move from passivity into aiming towards the prize as you recognize that every day, every shot, every pitch, every conversation, every day matters. And I want you to remember to breathe. Everyone take a deep breath in and out. Did you know that while you're sitting here, you're actually only using a quarter of your lung capacity. It's why I could have you actually breathe all the way in and, and all the way out. But one of the key things I work with in, in working with sports performance is performance anxiety. And the biggest thing that goes first is your breathing. And it's not that you don't breathe, because you would die if you didn't breathe, right? But you don't breathe well. You don't breathe intentionally. And here's what I've done. When I talked to someone one time, they said, Do you, if you could tell me in five minutes what's the most important thing to improve my game, what would you tell me? And I'd say, breathe. And that was it. And they're like, well, now what? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really thought through it much more than that. I just know that's what I want to tell you. So I actually went away and I took breathe and I built this acronym. But this is the acronym I want to share with you because this is a process that you can use in your spiritual formation this year. When you're faced with whatever you're facing, I want you to remember to breathe. Breathe is very easy because the first one is breathe, right? So you got the first one. It's kind of given to you. In the beginning, the spirit, the ruach, which is the Hebrew word of God, hovered above the chaos, before there was land, before that, you can read that in Genesis 1.1. The Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the breath of God hovered above the chaos. And that Spirit of God brought that chaos into order. Then he breathed into Adam the Ruach, the breath. The Holy Spirit is at work in you and through you. His breath of life, he gives you breath every morning. Begin each day. Breathing in the truth of his love, endurance, grace, and mercy. 
Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Breathe. The R, relax. That's a hard thing to do. It's like, I am relaxed, you know. Calm down. I am calm, right? It's like, we don't sound very calm. It's like, this is me calm, right? It's like, relax. Let the shoulders drop. Let the thing, you know, let's just relax for a moment. It's amazing how much energy we spend keeping our body up. I can tell you right now, I want you to let your seat carry more of your weight right now. Just see if you can get more weight in your chair. And you're like, oh, I kind of can. Huh. Because your body keeps yourself up. There's just tension in your body. Relax. Take time to stop. Release tension. Find time alone. Take a minute. Focus on the fact that you are well-loved, that you're not alone, and that you're a child of the King of Kings. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. E is in vision. Take some time to think about who you'd like to be today, where you would like to be in your life, how you might like your relationship with Christ to look like, your family situation. Journal it down. Paint a picture. Set a goal. Envision. Accept as A. Recognize that some days you'll get this right and other days it will be a real struggle. Accept that my power, I can't sustain much of anything. But in my weakness, he is strong. 2 Corinthians 12. Greater is he that is within me than he who is within the world. 1 John 4, 4. When you don't win, when you don't succeed, and when you don't get your way, I want you to enlist integrity. I want you to enlist in integrity. Target. That's our T in, in breathe. Target. Setting smart goals. Now, if you don't know, most people know what smart goals is now. SMART goals, our little acronym, stands for specific, measurable, A is achievable, R is, uh, what's our R? Is realistic and, and time sensitive, right? That's the other one, okay? That's our SMART goal. So these are helpful tools, but remember, a long shot is just a short shot that kept going. That's what I like to say. So it's a long shot. I'm never going to make it to the end of the year. So we'll just do a short shot and see if it just keeps going past January, right? That's how it works. This is my golfing thing, you know. It's, a, it's like, wow, that's a chip. You can either chip or putt. It's the second shot. The long ones and the short ones count the same in golf, if you didn't know that, right? Guys have this like, boom, yeah, you know, and then the other guy goes, tlunk, you know, tlunk, and then it's par, and it's like he's on his eighth shot because he's the man. It's like, yeah, but that 300-foot-yard drive is the same as my 270-yard drive, right? It's the second shot that counts, really, you know, but this is just sports psychology. But here's the thing. Your brain doesn't know and understand the word don't. And you're like, what? Yeah, parents know this because when you're making dinner and you say, don't eat a cookie. It's like, what did I just say? You're like, hey, we learned it in church. The guy said our brain doesn't understand the word don't. <laughs> right? I don't want to see you on your phone. It's like, what's up with that? Because our brain understands targets. It understands what, it, what you're telling it to do. It doesn't understand the word don't. So don't say things like, <laughs> okay, my goal is don't yell at my kids. That's a bad target. Today I'm going to 
speak into my kid's life. Rather than saying things like, uh, I'm, I don't want to sleep in tomorrow. Right? That's my goal. I don't want to sleep in tomorrow. That doesn't help, right? Because your brain's saying, sleep in tomorrow, sleep in tomorrow, sleep in tomorrow. Right? You're going to say, when my alarm gets off, I'm going to get up. That's, that's the goal. H stands for here and now. Lord, help me not to worry about the when and where, which is the past, or the then and there, which is the future. You know, when, when that happened, where we did this, when, when that, I can't do this because when we were back there, we did this. Well, what about, if, yeah, but then when I get up there, they're going to think I'm weird and they're going to think I'm funny. It's like, stop worrying about back there. Stop worrying about up there. Just stay in the here and now. Help me to be in the here and now with you, Lord, stepping out in faith just to do the next best thing I know how to do right now. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. Did you know that back in the day, the, the uh, archaeologists believed that, that they had little lamps that they would actually put on their ankles? Because they didn't have flashlights back then, right? So you're walking through the rocky terrain of the Middle East, and you would have had these little lamps on your feet so that you could see where you're going. Or they'd have it on a string, and there'd be a little lamp, and they'd, they'd do this kind of thing so they could see where they're going. Thy word is not a floodlight to my path, right? That's not how it works. God's word is, is for the next step, the next best thing I know how to do. I'm going to stand in the here and now, not up there and then. And then the final one is execute. I'm going to have our worship team come back up. Every day matters. Therefore, seek to complete the task or part of the task. If you just get part of it, that's great. That you set out to do. Apply the if-then principle whenever possible and step forward into a new routine remembering that building something important will have both joy and suffering at different times which is what makes it valuable in the end nothing you have that you really love and appreciate came pain-free that's what makes it so important Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. Romans 5, 3, which is one of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible. And it's all about suffering. It's like, what a horrible life verse. But it's so important because we know that suffering produces perseverance, grit. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope never puts us to shame. I'm going to invite you to stand as we get ready to kind of enter into just a, a little time of reflection and, and, and worship here. But I want to ask you the question again, how are you going to live your life in 2023 as an act of worship and also a witness of the hope that is within you to those you encounter and influence on a day-to-day -day basis? Paul says to run the race in such a way as to get the prize. And what is that prize? Ultimately, is a life spent with Jesus. But it's also a life on earth that has meaning and fulfillment and richness and joy. It's a life knowing you are loved and the ability to love others as Christ has loved you. So what's our big idea today? My big idea and my challenge to you is to get started. Is to get started. Create an NR, a new routine. Entertain the idea of not creating your New Year's resolution, but rather New Year routines, pre-shot routines. And remember to breathe.
Be a person who develops integrity as character of spiritual and moral and relational disciplines. And I close with this thought. If you want to grow a tree, there's two best days to do that. The best day to grow a tree was 20 years ago. Right? The second best day to grow a tree is to take that seed, find a little bit of dirt, stick it in that hole, cover it up, and let God do something that Paul talks about in Corinthians right at the beginning. He says, Paul says he planted the seed. And then he says, Apollos, who they're arguing about, watered the seed. But it's God who makes it grow. So today, make it a day where you take a seed, stick it in the ground, and see what God can do in 2023. Let's worship together.